0: Hello and welcome to episode 176 of
1: Effect Critical Fail. I'm Matthew and I'm Dave. And for those of you who uh, aren't top tier patrons and won't get the whole track, we've just had to do all that again because Matthew did do a critical fail on his first opening of the show. But anyway, so what have we got in store for you today? Um, Mm. So we've got our normal world of gaming slot where we talk a few things there. One of those is uh, gonna be Zine Month, Zemo, which uh, is running as we speak. And later on in the show, we have a interview that uh, Matthew did with our friend, Fred of the show, and our friend Craig, um, who is running a, um, who is, who's putting a publication out through Zemo this month. So Matthew's having a long chat with him. And then last time, I had agreed that my homework should be to talk about something that Matthew was very, very familiar with—criticals, uh, but mishaps as well. So I've done a little piece um, just to talk about criticals and fumbles. Who needs them? Uh, which we Who needs come, them? Which we should come to at the end of the show. And uh, they're not terribly
0: realistic, are they? I mean, you don't you don't uh, fumble twenty percent of the time when you're say introducing a podcast.
1: <laughs> well, you do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right um let's uh, let's move on uh, we we don't have any new uh, patrons to thank this month but i just want to as always uh, thank <clears throat> the generosity of all our patrons who keep this show going we're heading into the month of the big internet hosting bills uh, <clears throat> next month so uh, it's it's just great to know that we've got uh, money in the bank account that's going to pay for all our hosting and um names uh you know and um what they call those things uh urls that point <laughs> to our podcast that's uh, there's a bill for that coming up for one yes. of them for the so,
1: so so this month we're we're kind of we're in the money we're in the money but next month <laughs> we have to pay all the bills and uh and so we're not in the money but um ah. yeah it's wonderful thanks everybody for all your support we we couldn't do all of this without you so thank you so much Right, um, World so of World of
0: Gaming. So the first thing I want to talk about is a plug for a, um, a forthcoming game that has uh, uh, actually been sent to us. And we are such shills that anybody can send us an email and say, would you want to talk about us or interview us about our new upcoming game? And I'll probably say yes. Well, <laughs> actually, this time I said no, we, because uh, obviously we had our interviews planned We've got all our content here, but I did say we'd talk about them on um, on the world of gaming, and uh, and it's kind of unusual for us because this is a D twenty game.
1: Uh, you did send it to me; uh, or I saw it in the inbox. But what with everything else going on, I haven't had a chance to look at it. So I'm going to have to hand over. Tell me what's great about it, Matthew. Or, tell uh, right. Me, so, tell me, tell me what it is first as well.
0: Right. Well, what it is is Everyday Heroes. And it is a revival of a game that was really popular in the world of D20, which is to say D&D 3rd edition, effectively. And that was um, modern, uh, uh, D20 Modern, it was called, which was transposing the then D&D rules into modern settings for all sorts of things like... um, you know, sort of delta greenish sort of games, all sorts of stuff like that. Mm. But this one is uh, a new version of that. Because, um, of course, the beauty of D20 is that was the origin of the open gaming license. So that system is out there for anybody to use as they will under yeah. the original open gaming license. And um, um, a new uh, company, a um, proudly black owned company, have decided to bring back that game and rebrand it as every everyday heroes, and of course modernize it as well for the um, the modern D twenty audience. So uh, mm-hmm. slimmer rules, slightly less crunchy, and um, slightly more diverse. Really interesting backgrounds. Well, if so you had
1: opened, I can't find it in my email, email, email inbox now. But um, <clears throat> so um, tell me about what's the setting well the setting is
0: now and it you know it can be uh, kind of an, an, anything you want to do now is it is it like a
1: is it is it like a, a, a gurps system
0: i think in a way you could well obviously it's it's not as crunchy as gurps but yes it's it's a game to build your or uh, it's a system around which you can build your own settings but yeah it's an agnostic
1: system that you can you can tailor to any setting you like yeah yeah okay but so specifically
0: looking at um uh I, I think from the name from the name uh we're talking about uh oh what do you call it uh low level mean not massively powered heroes
1: yeah yeah <clears throat> okay and this is and the and the heroes in this are they heroes in kind of the sort of superhero sense, or is it just that everyday people can be heroes? Well, I think it's that everyday people can be
0: heroes. And I'm oh. now just looking for the image, which I've lost and I was going to describe, because to, I, I think that really gets across. Um, I will, of course, stick a link in the show notes uh, and you can see some of these images for yourself in their press release. But um, the image that he sent me uh, and, and I forwarded to you features... A kind of gangster type with a couple of pistols, a kind of well I guess that would be another gangster type, a bit of a kingpinish built man in a suit. Uh there's a guy with a thick guy with muscles, uh, a bruiser, shall we say, in a in a vest. We've got a scientist in a wheelchair, we've got a young genius kid. We've got a somebody who looks like a mmm, interesting detective. Possibly with a test tube full of some magical potion. We've got a, a, a female soldier. We've got a very much sort of uh, what I'd call a Blacksportation style Jackie Brown figure doing Kung Fu um, on the end of that line. So it gives you an idea of the sort of range of characters that you could play. And Did
1: you mean Jackie Brown then? Did I say Jackie Brown? Yeah, because Jackie Brown is... Uh... Tarantino movie about an air hostess. Yes, yes. Not, so so Jackie
0: Brown is not who I'm sure what, she's the kung character fu, that is that she? actress played back in the 70s. Jackie Chan? are oh, you
1: talking
0: about. No, no, not Jackie Chan. I meant, I meant that actress. She played somebody with a big afro who did kung fu. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Right, in the okay. 70s, and I know it's gone out of my head entirely. Um, so. Uh, Evil Genius. I don't think I mentioned the company. Uh, so the company is called Evil Genius or Evil Genius Productions. That's run by uh, David Todd Scott. And uh, he's the guy that contacted me. But um, it's also got Jeff Grubb involved, You know, who's been an old hand at um, role-playing games for years and years and years. Did some of the superhero games I remember, like Champions, I think, in the past. So he's also involved. Um, uh, I've got a character profile here. Let me read you oh, this character cool. profile. Okay. Um, so this is the brute and there's a couple of images that a brute can be, which is the big muscly guy in the vest that I mentioned earlier on, or a kind of young long haired gang member with a, what looks like, um, uh, a barbed wire wrapped, uh, baseball bat. Mm. And the brute relies on raw muscle to smash through their problems. Uh, the archetype is strong hero. Uh, the attributes are strength and constitution. Remember, this is D20, so we're going to see those coming out. So there's, mm. I imagine, the key attributes that get the high scores. Skills and proficiencies include athletics, armed fighting, simple weapons, and special abilities include power attack, reckless attack, crash, hurl, smash, barrel down, and unstoppable. I think... Um, Third edition or 3.5 D&D was where we started seeing those things. Feats, which are a bit like magical spells. You can do one a day. um, Yeah. Your your signature attack, effectively, or your signature thing. So those are those things. So, um, no, it looks a bit like you could play something like Feng Shui in this, definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Anyway, we'll
0: put that link in our show notes. Hmm. And uh, all good luck to Evil Genius Productions yes, and hope good. they do well. I'm not yes. sure whether they're kickstarting it or anything. Um, they didn't actually say that in the press pack they sent me. But, um, no. We'll well, yeah, we'll find I guess watch, watch this space, I guess. Watch this space, yeah. Yeah, cool. And now the second thing is exciting and it's something that you and I didn't know about until our friend of the show, Magnus Sita, dropped us a line on Facebook.
1: Indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was um, Sweden Rolls doing a a, a poll of, of people's favorite podcasts.
0: No, it's not Sweden Rolls. Was it not Sweden Rolls? No. So, it's a leading Swedish language role playing game Facebook group. Ah, doing okay. That poll.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So, um, according to Magnusita, the most important Facebook group in Sweden. Um, Ah, cool. uh, Which is just how highly they regard RPGs in Sweden. Obviously. (laughs) Um, And so they did a poll and uh, voting for um, their favourite podcast. I imagine Sweden Rolls was a winner there when it came to the AP category. But we were the second best uh, talk show
1: about RPGs. Yeah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's very good. It is so pretty cool. We d- and we didn't even know we'd been nominated or, or And we this, didn't even know we'd been nominated. Or this poll was going ahead. That's brilliant. Um Who who won it?
0: I have no idea, but I bet you they spoke Swedish. <laughs> Possibly, yeah.
1: Well that's great. I mean um Yeah. I mean I I, I am I am kind of slightly speechless because um, you know, we've been doing this podcast for for, for years now. And we've obviously got a a lovely group of of supporters. We've got our patron. um, But kind of forget that there's a lot of other listeners out there, almost. Oh, yeah. Um, About
0: 16% of our downloads happen in Sweden.
1: And it's lovely that um, that, that people are listening and enjoying the the crap that we're... (laughs) splurging out onto uh, onto the podcast um I, I keep telling you dave don't call it crap <laughs> hey look look the, i think our listeners are are discerning enough to realize that it's quite a lot of his crap but they it, obviously quite like that kind of crap which is great because you know um it's top quality crap Dave. it is it's, the, it's the best crap. quality yeah a like, brilliant thank you everyone um one for listening two for enjoying and three for for for, for rec- you know giving us a bit of recognition like that. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. It's
0: brilliant though. Um and thank you very much to all of all of Sweden. Now what I want to say <laughs> to though all is... of Sweden. Thank you to all of Sweden. <laughs> well they all play role playing games there, don't they? I mean I'm not stereotyping the Swedes, but it is so dark there. What else are they going to do?
1: <laughs> well that's one or two things that they might do other than play role playing games. <laughs> Uh, in the long, dark winter nights, keep yourselves warm.
0: Right, moving
1: on. <laughs> yes. Dave, um,
0: Dave, what is the difference between NFTs and Cthulhu?
1: <laughs> so, interestingly, um, I asked you that very question. And you had a response that you liked, I think. You, you saw a response from somebody this... in the sphere.
0: This isn't uh this isn't me saying this this is a redditor talassin hoyle whose joke I'm nicking but I feel it's really good what is the difference between nfts and cthulhu one is an aberrant aberrant monstrosity that consumes and devours power and ablates the senses with the pitiless futility of it all and the other is cthulhu <laughs> um NFTs. Uh, we're talking about NFTs because it turns out that uh, Chaosium have licensed a couple of images of Cthulhu to a company called VV that makes
1: NFTs. So, although we all so, know... so before we move too far, so NFT stands for okay, non non fungible tung- tung- something, fungible, fungible. 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 So basically, what does "fungible" fungible actually mean? I knew you were going to ask that. It just makes me think of uh, fungus. You know, it's like like,
0: nothing to do with fungus. Nothing to do with fungus. (laughs) Um, So, when a thing becomes a commodity, then it's fungible. In that, you know, um, so iPhones, for example. Once upon a time, you know, your watch was made by a craftsman, and therefore, in a way, every single watch was a bit different. But then they started making watches on machines and everything turned out the same. So your iPhone now might be quite expensive, but it doesn't really matter whether it's that iPhone that you bought or the one with the number next to it. They're exactly the same thing. So that's a fungible thing.
1: It doesn't so that, so, really matter. It can so, be so,
0: replaced by an identical one straight so away. The,
1: the, dictionary, yeah, the dictionary definition is of goods contracted for without an individual specimen being specified, replaceable by another identical item mutually interchangeable but it's a shit word isn't it fungible i mean it's just like well i yeah anyway. one might
0: say the whole concept uh, of nfts is a pretty shit concept um so the idea here is do you remember when the internet started and people started getting popular uh lots of people said hooray information can be free we've got all <laughs> this Oh, the wonderful power! And yeah, and talking of free information, let us point to our own podcast here. So the internet has enabled us to gather information in from around the world, to turn it, as you say, Dave, into top quality crap, and then to <laughs> share it with the whole world. And everybody can get it. Everybody can download it. It's free. I mean, if they really wanted to, they could take a sample of our written words and and edit it into their. Pop song or whatever, and uh, you know there'd be our voices going, yeah, yeah, or something. You know, fifteen <laughs> or, times during a pop song,
1: Um, uh, or something. Probably more like um, um, would be a good thing for us to. Can we say it so often on this show? <laughs> one of the funny things, I know I haven't edited the podcast for a while, but one of the funny things uh, in editing is when, when particularly you, because I think you're better at it than I am, um, take a couple of moments to think about what you're going to say, and you and you go like. Uh, y- oh, uh. <laughs> and they just yeah. play that over and over again.
0: <laughs> yeah, you see, so somebody can sample that because the beauty, the principle of the internet was everything is free, uh, and that's going to, you know, that was going to cause a wonderful revolution where we all came together as a single people and spoke with one voice. Well, more recently, somebody's come up with a brilliant idea of making information not free by attaching it to a blockchain. Now, Dave. Am I going to have to explain to you what a blockchain is?
1: Um, no, I think I know just about. Well, I've had quite long conversations about how. Oh, I'm not going to get into them; they're so boring. But no, you don't need to explain to me. But you can explain for yeah. others if you want to. For a quick. You do
0: have a friend who's heavily into um, cryptocurrency, don't you? I do. And yes, I do. I'm yeah. sure he has bored you senseless with his definition of he a tries blockchain is. But uh, but essentially, what we're talking about here is. Um, Uh, lots of computers working really hard and consuming a lot of electricity to tell you that you own that thing. So (laughs) even though the pixels of an image of Cthulhu might be replicable all over the place instantly, uh, you can own a particular set of pixels stored in a particular place and this long computerised calculation called the blockchain will explain that although once upon a time it was owned by VV, for example, now you own it and nobody else can have that particular set of pixels. I mean, yeah, I might make a screen grab of it and have it on my phone, but you own the original set of pixels, not the screen grab. Um, And in theory, you know, you can sell it because loads of other people want your particular set of pixels.
2: I
1: think... You know, there's there. There was one thing I've really noticed on the internet in in recent years is people shouting about I want to own those set of pixels for that picture. I wonder, I don't want to own them or not. I don't think I've seen yeah. anybody saying anything like that. This, I think, you know, you, you put it well earlier. This is this is a, a solution desperately looking for a problem with someone trying to make some dollars on it at the other end. Yeah, yeah, it feels and. and-
0: and I, th- I think the big thing, there. so lots of people in the RPG Twitter community are kind of turning against Chaosium for agreeing to license this image, which in itself, I think, you know, that that's weird because Cthulhu's been out of copyright for years. Anybody can make an image of Cthulhu and sell it. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised that Veves, you know, went to Chaosium and said, can we license your particular Cthulhu? mm but um, there we go. That's that. That's for other people wiser than me to understand the value of. Um, I mean, it's or maybe essentially... maybe stupider.
1: I well, don't know. <laughs> is this just just a storm in a teacup? That it's you know it's not going to take off. You're not going to get lots of revenue coming in. People buying these images. But as you say, well, any anyone can just rip off the internet and use. You know how how do you know that somebody is is violating your copyright? Um, unless, um, you, unless you are lucky enough to stumble across that image and it's the exact same image
0: yeah um, I, I don't know I don't even know whether once you've bought the NFT you actually have any rights intellectual property rights to that image at all one would imagine since it's been licensed off um, of, of, of Cthulhu of uh, off Chaosium that they retain the intellectual property of it so, uh, so, uh, so what's, it's bad so, yeah.
1: so what is the point of owning owning that image then or, well, I mean, are can you, I are you, point are you, are you, you? Are you leasing? Are you leasing that image? Then, if chaos i the effectively, rights. Effectively,
0: I think you're leasing the image. Yeah, that's a good even, way of putting it. Even For loads of it. money.
1: Yeah, this is a daft idea. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna come and go. I suspect, isn't
0: it? It's going to come and go. But I do want to point out to you that this sort of thing has been happening throughout history. i you're a historian, so you'll, of course, know all about the South Sea bubble, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and also, uh, <laughs> tulip mania, for example. So, tulip mania, brilliant thing happened in the uh, uh, late 17th, early, early 18th century, something like that. Um, and tulip mania was uh, people got really mad on tulips, um, particularly tulips that had a particular disease that made their petals stripy. Uh, that those were the most treasured ones and people were paying ridiculous odds to own those tulips or the bulbs that produced those tulips. And very often, you know, when, when they brought them home and plugged them in different soil, they cured them of the disease and they came up perfectly red and not red and white like they had been the previous year. Uh, but ridiculous amounts of money were spent on that. And um, it's the same thing all over again.
1: It's funny you mentioned the South Sea bubble because it reminds me of that... Um... Yeah, I know all about the South Sea Bubble. The South Sea Bubble is a, is a goldfish owned by my grandmother, who I live with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's not go uh, there again. <laughs> uh, for,
1: for the reference... Whom! The whom I live with, with! Whom I live, not who I live with! <laughs> you, uh, listeners, need to go back to our, our podcast, AP of um, Tales of the Loop. Uh, yes. The first one there, where we're doing character creation. And yeah, you'll just, I think you'll that's hear actually me, on this thread. You'll hear me and Tony just laughing for about three minutes, hysterically because of Matthew. Simply <laughs> because that.
0: I said my grandmother, who I live with. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And it just blew, it blew up uh, into that—not that the line I couldn't joke from from thirty years ago. Ah, anyway, uh, I do sometimes just pull up that podcast and just listen to that bit, just <laughs> just to cheer me up because it's so funny Um, or you found it funny but uh, never mind it's just your reaction was funny you just had no idea what was going on and me and Tony just couldn't talk we were laughing so hard Uh, Charlie good Charlie good I seriously (laughs) don't remember
0: that sketch at all I do now remember that sketch because I watched it on YouTube because you pointed it out to me but I don't think I ever saw it on
1: um, Uh, originally
0: uh, uh, yeah uh, originally I I usually have a fight with my dad about whether we could watch not 9 o'clock news, when he wanted to watch the actual 9 o'clock news. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was the thing. And this was in the yeah. day before streaming. So, you know, you can oh, go yeah, back and watch it online 80s, later.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe even late 70s, actually. Yeah.
0: Late 70s, maybe. Yeah. There was pictures of Maggie Thatcher on the... Uh, yeah. Anyway. Yes. let's uh, Let's cut um, to the now. <laughs> What's happening now? What is happening, Dave, right this month? <laughs> yeah. That um, month
1: being February. Uh, well, it's Zine Month. Zemo. Zine Month. Zine tell month. me more. Hashtag um, Zemo. Hashtag Zimo. Um, well, um, I'm probably going to let you tell me more, actually, because I think you. will well, tell you more. what. You probably know more about it than I do. Why don't we just segue this
0: straight into our interview with Craig, our uh, he friend can and patron, tell us more. and indeed move Excellent. and shaker in Zine Month. Cool. So with me right now is our friend and patron and previous guest on the show, Craig, or in the socials, Hoodoo, or sometimes Hoodoo Voodoo. Am I right there?
3: Yeah, that's correct. And thank you for having me on again.
0: It's lovely to see you again, Craig. Um, Thanks to all your support of our podcast as well. Um, But we've got you on not just to say thank you, but to talk about a couple of things, one of which I think we're going to have to invite you to talk about in more depth. And that is the whole crowdfunding zine scene that's exploding right now. But just to begin with, um, tell us what we're right, we're right in the middle of uh, Zimo, Zine Month, this February. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? But not too much, because we're going to invite you back after it's all over to uh, to
3: reflect on it. Uh, yeah, sure. So before I do that, I just want to say thank you to both you and Dave. And all the listeners for the previous time I was on, this time last year, because I know a lot of the listeners did end up back in my previous project. So I just want to say thank you to all of them.
0: Brilliant. And I back the redacted version, which makes no sense at all.
3: Um, So Zine Month is a spin out from Quest, which was Kickstarter's small creator once a year event where... They encouraged game creators to do small, like twenty to thirty, up to fifty-page games, um, to try and encourage small creators to run kickstarters. This year, however, a off of the off of the um, I'm trying to. Shall we say the controversial
0: way. statements about NFTs?
3: Yes, that that's the polite way of putting it. <laughs> off of the NS to NFTs, and then middle of January, when a lot of creators, so it runs in February, ZineQuest previously, middle of January, they turned around and said, oh, we're, we're going to move it to August this year. So it coincides with Gen Con. And myself and many other creators have put weeks or months of work already in expecting it to be January. So the, it's a community-led event, Zine Month.
0: Okay. But let's not just, limited
3: to Kickstarter.
0: Can we unpack that? Because the way I read it on the socials, it wasn't quite that order. It wasn't, oh, we're moving it to Gen Con. It was, oh, we're not running it in February 1st. And then just enough time for everybody to get your what about it on social media. And then ah, we're going to move it to Gen Con. That's what we meant to say.
3: Yeah, essentially, um, it was a mess. There was no official announcement. There was no official announcement to say the Quest was happening. It's just it's for the last... Four years, it's always been February. Mm-hmm. And then the head of games at Kickstarter posted to her personal account saying, oh, yes, it's not happening this month. And then followed up with, we're moving it to the Gen Con, which I'm sure for Kickstarter is great because Gen Con a massive event. But it's a massive event where all the big names put out their books. For indie creators, it's a terrible timing we just won't get any attention.
0: Yeah, I remember indie creators were a little bit upset that, of course, uh, this time last year, uh, Free League had their biggest and most successful Kickstarter bid with the One Ring. And uh, a lot of people felt that that was taking all the oxygen out of the room. But Gen Con and all the big announcements, he's surely genuinely going to take all the oxygen out of the small creator.
3: Yeah, I, like you say, I think it was a a backlash, I I think, honestly, they were just going to not do it and let it slide Mm -hmm. and hadn't expected because ZineQuest was Luke Crane's personal little event. And then, obviously, he screwed up last year with the Adam Covell. So it's
0: not just the NFT thing and the slight crapness over announcements here. We've also got to wind back to previous controversies that we're not yeah. going to
3: go into. No, I, we could spend an entire episode talking about that. Um, and maybe
0: we but- will. We're, so uh, Dave and I, so first of all, I've got to say to Alistairs and to you, uh, sorry from Dave, because he can't be here tonight, uh, but he really wants to talk to you about the wider world of, well, both ZineQuest, Zinmo, and I think crowdfunding as well. And he really wants to pick your brains. So I think we're going to invite you back in a couple of episodes time Once all the um, dust has blown over, I don't know how busy you're going to be, of course, at the end of your successful campaign. Maybe once all that's out or something as well, we'll invite you back in and and to reflect on the whole thing. But let's move on now to what you're doing for Zemo, for Zine Month
3: this year. And that's um, Signal to Noise. Yeah, so my campaign this year is called for a game called Signal to Noise. It's running on Game on Tabletop. A lot of creators are still using Kickstarter. I decided to move off of it um, for the reasons we've just discussed. But Signal to Noise is a very indie game. Um, I describe it as an interstellar epistolary game where you're chronicling the relationship between two people through a series of messages as one of them leaves the solar system forever on a generation ship.
0: Which is a concept I absolutely love. But, uh, okay, first of all, I, I can kind of get the idea of an epistolary game. In Effectively, you uh, write letters according to prompts. And um, when you're playing a two-player game, I guess you're writing... Two people are writing letters to each other and taking turns in that.
3: Yep. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Um, so essentially in so in this setting, um humanity has discovered a series of unknown megastructures around a distant star. And the only way to get to them with people is to send a generation ship. Mm-hmm. Um both of these characters want to go, only one gets to go. So it's then about sending letters back and forth over time as the generation ship gets further and further away. And you've got both the, the physical distance, obviously, is massive. There's the emotional distance, knowing you'll never see this person again. And then complicating all of that, over time, errors, the noise starts to enter the message and you start to corrupt the message. And it's it's all about a question of how long can you keep going when this person is getting further and further away and the messages are getting harder and harder to read. Um, it's very much a pandemic game mm-hmm. about distance and and loss and emotions that I, I couldn't have written, wrote, written this a couple of years ago.
0: So you wrote it during the pandemic. Um, and I can understand that sort of, you know, feeling separated by more than mere distance. Um, but tell me about the, um, the mechanic behind the degradation of the messages. How does that actually work in game terms?
3: So if both characters or both players have a hand of cards. Mm-hmm. You start out with one card of each suit and... On each round, you'll pick one of those at random. Um, Let me just pull from the deck that I've got here. That card does three things. So I've just pulled out the queen of clubs. Mm -hmm. Um, The first thing it does is it progresses a series of big events, societal events. So if I pick the Earth character, um, the first time they draw a club is for their prompts, starts a series of events that describe a scientific breakthrough and the next time they draw a club it will progress that event
2: mm-hmm.
3: it also then has a personal prompt so a queen initially it, the prompt for that is you have a dream about the other character that's left you wishing you could see them again so you've got two pers- you've got a personal and a societal prompt to build on your letter the final thing that it does is that it's a replacement card. So you write your message to the other person, and then you and you need to do this on a computer ideally. You go into find replace mm-hmm. and you check the table and you replace letters based on what the table says. So you so replace
0: individual letters or sequences of letters or whole words?
3: Individual letters. So yeah. a queen is actually the first time you draw a queen, it's a no replacement. But if you draw, for example, a four, you change every single L in the message to an I. Right, and this is cumulative. The next round, you might draw an eight. Then you draw, change every L to an I and every S to a B. Right, I've got you. So then the errors just slowly accumulate in the message, and if you're smart, you could try and work out what's going on and keep a track of it and backtrack and try and undo the errors.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But some of the errors duplicate. You could change an L to an I and then an I to an H. Mm-hmm. And you've got to work out, well, if I change these Hs back to an I, were the I's I's or were they L's originally? Or were they L's Just, originally? Yeah. yeah.
0: And this is fascinating. Um, so uh, obviously you've play tested this. How many rounds, I guess, does it take for letters to start getting kind of entirely unreadable?
3: So around five, it gets difficult. Um, it, it's really quite difficult to judge if you get an unlucky hand. Um, about half the cards don't have a replacement and about half of them do Right. because you could draw the same card multiple times, yeah, you could draw three queens, for example, so there's a that um, and then the major events, so the societal events have five of listings. so once you get to the end of five, that's that's another end game.
0: okay, so this is interesting. Uh, uh, that major events thing then feels to me a bit like a game of patience, you know, you might be playing. All sorts of card games, and trying to get four kings to come up before you run out of the pack of cards, or something like that. Do I mean four? Well, you,
3: you're guaranteed to get to the end um, mm. because it, the major events are based on your suits, right? But there's also there's a escalation mechanic. So when you draw, if you draw a club from your hand at the end of that round, you then add two more clubs into your hand. All oh, right. So once you start an event, you are more likely to finish it rather than getting three thirds of the way, or getting three quarters of the way through an event and then switching and ending up not finishing it. You'll probably finish that event. Okay.
0: Now, I'm, I'm just going to ask speculatively here. You talked about one of the events being about the progress of science. Yep. Does that end with? hyper gates or portals that give you a happy ending where you're there
3: waiting for your
0: no you're not it's a generation ship she's going to be long gone and dead by the time she gets there
3: forget i ever said that so there are so in general as a vague thing any um red suits so hearts and diamonds are bad if you get to the end spades and clubs are good right but there's a different set of events for the person on the generation ship, so they've nice. got their own set of events going on. So you could get the best solution possible. Um, I'm not going to spoil, actually. No, no, spoil it, no, no. You could get the but best solution it's not possible. Not about hypergates
0: and- and arriving to meet your lover on the other end, because because obviously that just makes any sense. Forget I ever said
3: it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's all it's all about this interplay and how it get, runs down. Um, and the relationship breakdown. And do you want to keep forcing yourself to send these messages or are you just going to say, I'm done, I have to stop here?
0: Yeah. and then, Well, this is interesting. So the two players obviously um, have that decision as things get worse and worse. But I always feel that this is a thing that you could put in a blog or something and, and actually – People could start following that you know. If, if you said, OK, we'll play this one round a day or whatever over the course of a week or a couple of weeks. The, uh, people might really enjoy reading this effectively um, procedural fiction happening in front of them on social media.
3: Yeah, no, it, w- it would be really suited to that, um, that sort of play, especially if you were to then you could pull in any like solo games as well it's spanned on what your character's doing outside of these messages. Mm. Um, And it would be a really interesting experiment to pull maybe four or five solo games that the two players are playing individually. So it's to build up their character and then send these messages back and forth.
0: That could be fun. Yeah. We'll have to consider that. Maybe you should do it on, um, on our Twitter
3: account or something.
0: Oh, no, that's only got 148 characters.
3: Is there a limit on the character length? or is this no no limit um i recommend about a page is a good sort of length um and when you say a
0: page you mean either us letter or a4 you're not fast
3: no i'm not fast i mean it's if if you really wanted you could write a five page letter um but then obviously you've got to corrupt it and it depends on the players it's really up to the players but you need you do need some a, a good length just to really get a feel for it. Um if you're writing a paragraph, there's only so much you can get across in that. And it it would just it wouldn't have the right feel to it. It's really about a proper letter.
2: Mm.
0: Now, okay. Here's an interesting thing. We're talking in generationships here, but is there a problem with generational games? You and I are not necessarily of an age, because I am a very old man but I feel we are of a similar generation. Um, I don't know whether my boy's ever written a letter except in probably his letter writing class in year five at school or something. Uh, meanwhile, he's constantly texting his girlfriend. Is Do you think this appeals only to a certain age bracket or do you think young people can get into it too?
3: No, I th- I think younger people could get into it. And actually, one of the things that, this, I'll be doing this part of the campaign is adding in and it, some expanded rules for audio messages. Mm. So obviously recording voice messages is something that I don't want to say a younger generation only knows how to do, but um, might appeal more. Um, hey, we do a podcast. We can record voice messages. <laughs> yeah. Um, so adding in voice messages, there'll be new rules for Rather than corrupting the messages, adding static over segments, mm. and how to and the cards then will drive how much static there is in a message. Um, you could even, if you really want to, go to video messages. Unfortunately, I don't have. I personally don't have the skills for doing that sort of video editing, but I know how to do the audio editing, so that's why it will be added in.
0: Yeah, I quite like that. I quite like the idea of that. Maybe maybe we should do it as a podcast. That'd be cool.
3: I mean that that would be really cool to hear. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to get some voice actors. You uh, mean not just you and me? <laughs> oh no, no, I'd love to do it as a play, but what well, actual playthrough? But also, I know. I I mean, a lot of people obviously APs are such a big thing, and that sort of edited, produced level of is it. It's almost two avenues of the same thing. I'd just love to see how it played out.
0: Well, it would be really interesting, wouldn't it? Because because you're already you're gonna you know I mean, with our APs, what I call editing is I listen to it and take out the really egregious, enormous long poises, diversions, the frequent times where Dave has to go for a pee. I just remove all those. But pretty much, you know, that's all the editing that go, takes place. With this, you really, you know, you're going to have to add in the static, aren't you, anyway? Yeah. So there's, there's a slightly more involved editing process. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's a thing that would be great to get real voice actors with. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe a collab with our friends at um,
3: Sweden Rolls. Well, I would certainly be interested in that. Um, that would be really exciting to see. After this podcast comes out, which is
0: the weekend after recording here, Maybe we should drop them a line and see how they, how they like the idea. That could be really good fun. Um, okay. So currently it's on which funding platform? We will, of course, be putting a link in the show notes.
3: So it's on Game on Tabletop, which right. is a European crowdfunding platform. That this they- is the
0: French one. I remember when I was talking with uh, Pele from, well, when he was co-hosting the podcast couple of episodes ago i got my knickers in a twist trying to remember which one was owned by steam forge and which one was was the french one
3: yeah so there's been a couple um come up as part of zine month um the the new american one that you mentioned last time was game found
0: game found right yeah
3: um but game on tabletop they pre- they predominantly cater to the non-English European market, Mm -hmm. Um, but they do also do English speaking games. Um, I went with them because of the Kickstarter problem. And so they've just been really, really engaged with trying to onboard me and giving me help. And I'm a tiny campaign. They're not going to make a massive amount of money from me, but they've been so helpful. So it's been such a great experience being on the site. Cool, pleasant things to say about um, Game Found,
0: then. Game on tabletop. Sorry, Game on tabletop. Sorry, I'm just still getting confused. <laughs> uh, at least Kickstarter doesn't mention games at all, so it's kind of easier to yep. remember. <laughs> Game on tabletop, then is is the one you'd go. What well, your your customer service experience with uh, or creator service experience, I should say, with Game on tabletop sounds great. And for the customers at the other end. Are the broad principles the same? They stump up cash. If you fail to um uh to to, to fund to fund, they don't pay anything, or um, is there something different there?
3: Um yes and no. You have the option of doing a Kickstarter style campaign, or you have the option of pay immediately. Um I'm going for the latter, the pay immediately, because Eve so the main aim of this campaign is A, to get a print run, yeah. and B, to fund art. The The game is complete. It was released last year, um, and we raised money to get it edited last year. Yeah, um, and
0: that was on sold on Itch.io.
3: Yeah, that was on Itch. Um, but art is rightfully expensive. It's not mm-hmm. something I can afford to, to do without a, an event such as this. But even if we hadn't funded, we have already funded. I would be able to put the game out. It just wouldn't be as good. Yeah. So, so I've got, I've less, got many...
0: less new art, for example, if you haven't yeah. funded.
3: But you have funded yeah.
0: already. And you've only been, it's only been live for
3: a few days, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been live a day and a half at this point. Uh, we're at 125%. I only had a very small goal of £300. Um, and we haven't got any stretch goals. It's a rolling stretch goal. Essentially, the better we do, the more art the artist will do for me.
0: The better you um, do, the better it'll look.
3: Yeah, essentially, almost everything that's raised here will go t- towards art. See, this is both um,
0: invigorating because I'm always on about let's pay artists the right amount and let's let's pay for art generally uh, because, um, you know, speaking as. Somebody that spent four years at art college and yet yeah, I find it really hard to draw now that I'm old. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a valuable thing. But it's also a little bit disappointing because I was beginning to think that, oh, one of the stretch goals could be a lovely deck of cards that reflects the, the, um, the genre, the, 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 the themes of the game, as well as being a useful pack of playing cards. But obviously you're not going to go in that direction.
3: No, simply because again, the the cost of getting something like that produced. Um being, a massive increase, isn't it? It's yeah. is a massive increase. And being such a this is only my second uh crowdfunding campaign. Uh I don't have a massive um audience. <laughs> um I'm, I'm immensely grateful. We've got 31 backers so far. We've had about 25, 30 sales of the game prior to this. I'm immensely grateful to all of that. I, I mean, don't get me wrong; I'd love to be raising thirty thousand pounds and doing swish art books, but I'm very Packs much at the small scale. I don't care scale. about your art books. Your pack of cards—that's
0: the key. <laughs> pack of cards. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, no, actually, I mean, i I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, really, because not only are cards incredibly expensive to produce for what they add to the game, um, the husso, of course, not covered by anything like. VAT-free importing or stuff like that, like books are. So, so there's probably a pain in the arse now that we're out of year well, out to distribute as well.
3: Uh, unfortunately, books aren't necessarily covered for Europe. No,
0: different European countries have different rules yeah. on VAT on books. I'm just I'm talking about us here. Um, yeah. So distribution happens from your house, I'm guessing?
3: Yep, so I'm getting printed by Mixam in the UK, and then I'll be manually distributing.
0: Brilliant. And if it's anything like the quality of um, the last one, um, uh, Cassandra Project. Project Cassandra. Project Cassandra. Yeah, everything is the wrong way around. I'm just looking for the copy on my desk, but it's buried under a heap of stuff at the moment. So uh, it's not going to come out soon. Um, Yeah. Based on the quality of that, part of me feels that zines should be roneostatted and typed and Glued and pasted, but this uh, project Cassandra looked incredibly professional, really slick, and I'm hoping we'll see the same quality in Signal to Noise.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, though that that was a, I was really happy with how Project Cassandra came out, um, which is good given that I spent seven years working on it. (laughs) um, I learned a lot from that campaign, so hopefully it's carried over well into Signal to Noise.
0: Was well, there any last thing you want to say to potential backers before you, we, we, we cut off?
3: So, the final thing is also signal to noise is the opener in a, a larger setting. Um, so, I mentioned these mega structures that humanity's gone to explore, and that's going to be the focus of a, a space opera setting that I'm sort of working on called the Dyson Eclipse.
0: Oh, that is um, exciting.
3: And Dave the aim, will be very interested in that. And the aim there is to write a series of games that focus on different aspects and slowly reveal what's going on. Um, I thought of, oh, I could write, I could make this my big game, my four hundred-page book, and then the I Coriolis. thought, well, my Coriolis, my Star Wars, and then I thought, and no one's going to buy it, and it will be a waste of time. <laughs> and also. Very much, very much an indie opinion. you can't do everything with one game.
2: No.
3: I could do Coriolis style game, and then if I wanted to explore the relationships between people on a space station, well that that wouldn't work for that. No. so well, my plan is to do a series <laughs> well sadly. Exactly. my plan is to do a series of small games exploring this setting. Um, I've got a couple already underway for release later this year. But signal to noise is very much about the how did people get there. Oh, that's brilliant. I like I had no
0: idea you, you you've thrown me with this one. I'm so glad I asked. What's the last thing you want to say? So this is really exciting. So we're gonna obviously have to have you back every time you
3: you you put a new game out, aren't we? I uh, I would be honored. I might even make one of them a year zero engine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a, a brief um preview, the. I've got a Wretched and Alone style game, solo game in the works. And I've also got a, again, quite a storytelling game about salvagers on the run being chased and there, the relationships that hold them together. That's the two that hopefully later this year will be out it'll be the next two out
0: well that sounds really good and i i love that focus okay so obviously we will put links in the show notes just remind us of your social how we can contact you socially on twitter facebook that sort of thing
3: so twitter i'm hoodoo underscore voodoo um on facebook it's lunar shadow designs which is what i publish under If you want to find the campaign directly, you can go to signal.lunashadow.net and it will take you straight to the campaign page.
0: It's great to talk to you again, Craig, and we will have you back in a few episodes time to reflect back on Zine Month and look at the, the, the whole wider scene and answer all the questions that Dave wanted to ask you, but didn't
3: have the chance to do it this time. Well, I look forward to it and thank you again for having me on.
1: So, yeah, so that was really interesting. I was really really disappointed that I couldn't uh, I couldn't make that that interview. It's always great great fun chatting to Craig, um, but that sounds I mean that sounds really really interesting in the concept for the game. Mm-hmm. And the exciting thing I think is what he said at the end, which I
0: almost uh, I, we almost didn't cover. And I said, "Is there anything else you want to say about it?" And his plan is he's got a setting in mind, which I think. You will really like you know you've talked about doing a sci fi game that talks about the wonder of yes um exploration <clears throat> uh you know so effectively what he was saying there is he's he's tackling this problem uh, about space games in general, I think by really focusing on rather than produce a a setting for a game. Uh, you know whatever system you put with that game he's thinking about doing lots of little mini games that l- look at different aspects of that journey into space and that discovery of strange alien objects and stuff mm. that sounds really interesting so a couple more games coming out this month I think it'll be an interesting thing to follow and as I said in the interview we'll have him back again um, Yes, maybe more than just once to talk to you
1: yeah I'm really keen to talk to talk to Craig and, and... Talk more about the the kind of the process of Zine Month and, and putting mm. together a zine and um, what advice and, and tips he might be able to give um, yeah and, you know, and and the experience of, of doing it because yeah it's certainly something that you know we, we're, we might not be thinking of doing a zine, um, although I've got a couple of ideas that might work in that space obviously we we're, we're, we're still thinking about um, how we get tales of the old West out. Um, yeah, funny okay, that... enough,
0: actually, I was only yesterday uh, before that interview thinking maybe we should do this as three zines, but that's that's by the by.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I want to do it as a zine, yeah. but I, I think in terms, I, I suspect quite a lot of the the the, the 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 process mechanics and things are similar between mm. doing a zine and um, putting out a Kickstarter, say. So yeah, yeah, um, um, and really well, of course to you. Hear. Craig's taken the interesting
0: back. thing is um obviously zine month was zine quest in kickstarter terms yes, for the last absolutely. couple of years and now the zine month producers some of them are sticking with kickstarter but others are exploring other ones like craig himself and it'll be interesting to i think get feedback from him on on which platforms were the most interesting and the most
1: absolutely helpful. yeah so it's all those kind of things i'd love to talk to craig in more detail about and say so really sorry i couldn't make it um uh yesterday when uh when you and he were chatting but uh no great interview great great stuff
0: and i think we should seriously think about this idea of maybe doing a blog version or a even a podcast ap sort of version of the game as well yeah so we we should discuss that more
1: absolutely okay shall we move on to your homework dave my homework yes um Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I'm I'm only laughing. So this is totally unrelated to gaming, but every time I hear the word fumble, I get an image from Frasier uh in my mind when um Niles is having a party. It's like a fancy dress and one yeah. of the guests, Gil Chesterton, is dressed as a um as a Native American and he's had a little accident and he says, Oh I'm totally sorry, I've had an accident with your rug. Just call me fumbles with crab puffs. <laughs> so uh every time every time i hear the word fumble i that scene le- leaps into my mind so anyway um you know this, what you
0: watch fraser too much
1: i have it on all the time yeah it's whenever yeah. i'm whenever i'm cooking or cleaning up the kitchen or doing some really boring menial job um i have it on in the background yeah but uh, you
0: see i know exactly why you do that it's like you, you know, i like to feel particularly when i'm working on my own i like some noise and not music actually yes for a talk in the background yeah but you know what you, you need to you need to branch out into other shows the, the streaming services offer all sorts of you know you can be listening to golden girls or friends or well, all sorts of other american sitcoms i
1: was thinking i would i used to really enjoy cheers back in the day before mm. Frazier even started out so i was thinking yeah. i might go back and watch cheers from the very start that um, could be a thing yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Do that, do that, and then, and then expand your cultural references.
1: <laughs> but, you know, the, the Crane family, I like my family now. I just, I know it all so well. It's like, uh, yeah, it's very familiar very, you know, very, very funny, very just easy. To Brilliant. Understand. So
0: when are you bringing out the Frasier role-playing game then? Well, I was thinking
1: about that the other day, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how I can, how that turns into a good role-playing game um well that's a thing you
0: ought to discuss with craig i bet I between was, the two of you you could come up maybe not with a single role-playing game but with a series of mini games that might reflect be, the whole journey of frasier
1: from there might be, be licensing issues possibly but
0: um, but you don't need to call it frasier you could call it seattle radio psychologist
1: <laughs> uh, with his brother miles um,
0: yes, with his brother Miles!
1: Precisely! <laughs> so, Fraser and Miles, and uh, yes. Anyway, um, anyway, yeah. So, anyway. um just
0: uh, so we- back to RPG content that exists, do we want to talk about critical fails and uh, critical success?
1: We do. Let's do that. Criticals and fumbles. Who needs them? When I think critical, I immediately think back to the good old days, 40 years ago or so and playing A, D, and D. Roll that d20! And when that natural 20 popped up, it was just great! Double your damage! And then there was Pendragon. again where a natural 20 would be a critical hit and give you the maximum damage you could possibly roll. But this time I was helped by Passions. My first Pendragon character, of only the two I've ever played, the other being the son of the first, and now High King of all Britain, uh, called Gawthin Apardur. Hated Saxons with a berserker-like passion, and gained a huge bonus as a result, increasing his critical range enormously. Pity the poor Saxon that came across Golfin and didn't get a big hit in first. And then, at the other end of the scale, you had the critical failures, the fumbles, the mishaps. Roll that d20 and get a 1, and not only did you miss, but your sword would fly from your grasp and leave you at the mercy of your enemy. And that was all fine. It was fun, and it was simple. Since then, games have developed a variety of critical success and failure mechanics, some more narrative than others. You can roll a pool of dice, as in the Year Zero engine, and your success gets better and better the more sixes you roll. But in reality, at the table, the outcome of three sixes is probably managed in a pretty much the similar way as four or five successes unless you're in combat of course, and those extra successes will really hurt your victim. There are plenty of games where a roll on one die will give you a critical success or fail, and others where your dice might explode and explode and explode, giving you, in theory at least, an unlimited potential for success. But what drives this, and do we really need it in a role-playing game? I think there are a few things that are at play here. Randomness. The point of having dice is to add a level of randomness that we want in these games, isn't it? But how much randomness do we actually want? Especially in the more modern fashion towards rules light and narrative games, aimed more at collective storytelling than letting the dice dictate the story. Personally, I love letting fate via the medium of the dice dictate what happens, but that's not always an easy thing to design into the critical mechanics of a game. Realism. One might argue that realism, and I vocally italicised the word here deliberately in role playing games, is the last thing you want. Swinging swords at dragons, drawing your lightsaber on a dreaded Sith Lord, dogfighting with your spaceship with no regard for the laws of physics, Uh, Andy, I hope you acknowledge the reference, Um, and casting magical spells against Cthulhu or other fantastical creatures can't be described as realistic. However, in all these cases, we, as players, project ourselves through our character, and place ourselves within a mental model of the situation our PCs are in. A player will readily cry, That's not realistic! at the GM, as their fumble sees them slip over a parapet or fall from a wall. All the while, they are wielding the heroic god-forged weapon given them by a Norse goddess against a super-powered immigrant from a distant planet in a galaxy far, far away. But the critical outcome, either success or failure, has to feel consistent with that moment, and the action from which the outcome arose, and needs to offer a satisfying new twist to the scene. A critical success should leave the player feeling a bit epic, and those who witness it impressed by the character's prowess. A critical failure should leave the player feeling a bit oh shit, but not automatically doomed by what was a random roll of the dice. Narrative Style To make crits and fumbles really varied and exciting, you need to be able to have a wide variety of outcomes for rolling that 20 or that 1. The easiest way, in game mechanics terms, is to fall back on the narrative imagination of the GM. You can offer advice about the kinds of outcomes that might be appropriate for the level of the critical, but you still place the onus on the GM. And in the moment, it can be really hard to think of something exciting, fun or satisfying. Sometimes that means the actual great success or terrible failure is glossed over and the opportunity for a cool gaming moment is missed. However, the harder way, in game mechanics and design terms, is to make a system that helps the GM with ideas based on a dice roll. This can work, but can also become very cumbersome. And in the end, suffer the same fate that the narrative approach suffers. That of glossing over these things and missing out on opportunities to really add to the fun, flavour and role-playing of the game itself. Which brings me to my last point here. Managing criticals for things other than combat. Now, many games are fine for applying critical rules to combat. That's usually pretty easy. You do more damage. You disarm or stun your opponent. You might even kick them to the ground. Or you drop your weapon. Your weapon malfunctions or runs out of ammo. Maybe you slip and fall to the ground yourself. But applying critical successes and fumbles to other aspects of a game is often much harder to achieve in a satisfying way. And that's down to the sheer breadth of situations and circumstances you're trying to account for. I tried to write a critical system for Tales of the Old West that did this with a mechanical dice roll to show the kind or style of the outcome, and guidance to the GM to help their imagination in applying the result to the situation they were facing. It was intended to cover all the bases. To give combat outcomes, of course, but also outcomes that would apply to other physical exertions that weren't combat. Social outcomes for stumbling over your words or botching that attempt to persuade someone important. And mental brain freeze outcomes if you critically fail the test relating to your dosity, your intellect. As a mishap mechanism, it didn't work consistently enough. It could offer some lovely ideas and suggestions in some circumstances, but those same outcomes just didn't really work in others. Now I've mentioned Tales of the Old West, there's something else I'll briefly talk about. In the Year Zero engine, there is no standard mechanism for rolling a fumble, while you can roll an increasingly strong critical success. Yes, in Alien you can panic if you roll a facehugger on your stress dice, but that's not really a critical failure, it's you panicking. You could also argue that darkness points in Coriolis could be used to simulate the critical fail mechanic. But then we are stepping away from our desire for randomness, and in-game, that approach by the GM can easily lead to the players feeling like the GM is being a bit of a dick, and using darkness points just to arbitrarily make their lives harder. That said, the year zero engine rules do say that when a player gets no successes, that should come with some negative outcome, over and above just failing at the task at hand. It's not really a critical fail, but more of a frequent fumble light. However, how many year zero GMs actually apply this every time a player fails to roll a six? I know I don't. Often failing at the task is punishment enough without adding an extra dynamic. Also, this ruling, as with the narrative approach, places the onus squarely on the GM and their imagination, and with all the other things the GM has going on in their head, it might be one job too many to keep track of, and is thus easily overlooked. But as I said, this no-success rule is not really a fumble mechanic, so in effect, the Year Zero engine has the potential to critically succeed, but no way that you can critically fail. Personally I think that's a bit of an omission, so we're looking to change that in Tales of the Old West with a simple mishap mechanic, adding a mishap die to your pool that applies if you push your roll. But we're still somewhat caught between the toolstools stools of being narrative heavy rules light and rules heavy with detailed GM guidance, although for us the simpler approach is winning out. So as a designer it's a tough one to get right. And maybe the answer is that you just pays your money and takes your choice, accepting that there is no perfect way to manage this in your game. Although I'm not one to leave something by saying it can't be done. So perhaps I'll think on this some more and get back to you once I've cracked it.
0: Okay, so very interesting uh, thought process. I feel we've kind of gone through in our own heads. Now, I your point on realism. Mm-hmm. I think is is true because we're we're not we're not being generally realistic. Even if we were doing a realistic and gritty um, uh, living at home and commuting to the office at
1: working RPG,
0: you'd still that's an want... RPG
1: that would sell, isn't it? Yeah, that one. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> sell somewhat more than the Frasier RPG, I think. <laughs> Uh, uh, But even then, you'd still want that thing that wasn't exactly living at home. You'd want to be able to have that that critical success occasionally where it all goes perfectly. And um, rather than doing the thing where, uh, oh, I wish I'd said that to my boss when he criticised my work, you actually do say it to your boss because you're that witty and you're that clever. You you, you, You get your critical success. But I am going to seriously question whether we do need critical fails. And I want to go back all the way back to the dark old days of early D&D, where I'm pretty sure the rules existed for critical successes pretty much everywhere. So not just in combat, but I don't think you did. If you got a natural 20, you got a critical success of some sort. But what there wasn't were critical fails. So I think... I think there was a, if you rolled a one in combat, then, you know, you drop your sword or your spear breaks or or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But but anything else you did, I don't think it counted. If you were um, climbing up the mast of a ship, say, uh, and you rolled a one on that, you just failed to climb up the mast of the ship. You didn't land spectacularly on your bottom or you know, um, crashing uh, another player character.
1: Or yeah. Well, that's kind of my point. Kind of you know, because why why should why should you only have critical fails um, and successes for combat simply mm. because it's easier to manage it in the mechanics than it is to ma- to manage critical fails elsewhere? Why why are you? I think I think there's a it's all or nothing. I think mean, either have critical fails for everything, or mm. have don't have critical fails. Because I think there's a thing about. Why, why Why? could you critical fail when you're swinging your sword or shooting your flidlock? But yes. you can't critical fail when you do anything else in the world? It doesn't, that doesn't yeah. make
0: sense to me. And, and actually, you're right. I'm not entirely sure that critical fails in combat are a great idea either because you, you know the cost of failure in combat more than in any other role you make in a role playing game, in that if you fail to hit the guy, he might He's going to hit you back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and he may well kill you if you know, particularly in the games we played, the Year Zero games. You know, one strike with a with an axe, and you could well be dead. Yes.
2: Um,
0: so, do we even need critical fails in combat? I I think it's interesting what you were saying about you know we, we played with the mishap rules, and I like the mishap rules. In don't get me wrong. Um, I do like the Mishap rules we've currently got in Tales of the Old West. And I also like the fact that that's the way that you get, um, say, your gun jamming, which is a trope of Old West stories. And again, you know, I like the way that we've got a thing that we say, you know, that there are certain guns that uh, have got a reliable trait that might let you ignore that that mishap of your gun jamming. So I like all of that. So I'm not necessarily saying, let's get rid of it entirely out of Tales of the Old West. But philosophically, Mm. do we need critical fails? And I'm not sure that you have answered that to my satisfaction because the Uh correct answer is no. The correct Ah. answer is yes, we need critical successes. And no, we don't need critical fails. And you didn't give me that answer.
1: I Well, I... I don't. I, well, I didn't give you that answer because I'm not sure I agree with it. So. Yeah, I know you don't. So, <laughs> so I'm just so I, telling I think, you that. So I think there's there's there, there is there is something really good about the the jeopardy of a potential critical fail. Um, in that, when the player rolls the dice, you've got you know you've got four options. Then pretty much, you know, you're going to succeed. You're going to fail. You're gonna be bloody brilliant or something terrible is gonna happen. And mm-hmm. having having that Jeopardy, although it shouldn't be too the percentage chance of it shouldn't be too high. Um I, I think that's really good because that adds a little frisson of of fear mm. and adrenaline when you're making the dice roll. I think the thing that we've got with Tales of the Old West at the moment actually works really nicely. And I had a good yeah. chat I had a good chat with the guys about it um before writing the, the bit on criticals and fumbles uh, a couple of weeks ago and um they all they all liked it they were all they all thought the, the the mishap mechanism we've got at the moment worked really well and you can also see the mishap coming potentially because yeah, so th- you know you, so might, roll, you might roll a, you might roll a 1 on your mishap dice but you know you've got to try and push through and succeed so you you know, you, you continue to you push the roll or You've not got a six on your mishap dice, and you push the roll, but you know there's still a risk that something could go badly wrong. And they really liked that. And we talked about it quite a bit, and they squarely came down on the side of keeping it rather than getting rid of um, a kind of mishap, stroke, fumble mechanic.
0: Yeah, um, and I do like—I really do like that on the push thing. So, you yes. know there's that moment I feel where. You have a choice. Okay, I'm going to use a combat example here because, as you said in the thing, combat's easier to, <laughs> to talk
1: yeah, about. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's so much
0: easier. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I point my pistol at my opponent. I roll my dice. I get, um, you know, a potential mishap. But at that moment, I have the choice. Do I push that roll and take the mishap? Or do I effectively miss? But it might not actually be a miss. It might be, you know, I, I feel a little... Um, you know, the jam almost happening on the trigger, and what I do is instead of fire, I I, I fix that mishap. You know, I you know I don't fire, or uh, you know I, I actually um, the bullet doesn't fly because I I've got that jam, and I, I, I solve it in a different way. Is what I'm trying to say. Mm. It doesn't work actually because we've already spent the bullet. That that's the useless thing. But that you know there is that that element of choice where you say, do I push myself and risk? Um, stupidly stabbing myself in the thigh, let's just say. Let's not use yeah. guns. Well, I think the thing, or, that's the, the,
1: the, a good example, which is quite specific, but I think it, it illustrates the, the the point you're trying to make, would be like saying using a flintlock or something. And yeah. as you're pulling the trigger, you've you've rolled your dice, you've got a one on your 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 mishap die, but you're gonna push because you really got to hit the guy who's about to kill your best mate. Um, but yeah, narratively, it could be that. You know you're gonna mishap, so maybe you just realize you you've put twice as much powder in as you should have done, so mm. the gun's gonna explode when you fire or something. But you still yeah. do it. The bullet still flies, the effect still happens, but the gun blows up and you lose a finger or whatever the outcome yeah. might be. Well, yeah. I like, having... like I say, I like, I like the element of choice in that because it, it gives the player a bit of agency, but also it, it does leave an element of randomness. And, you know, fate is there deciding what happens to you a little bit as well with the, with the dice roll.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So actually, I mean, having had this, having written this, having had that conversation with the guys and this conversation now, I'm actually liking our mishap uh, mechanic for Toto more and more. Um, yes. Now, I- remind
0: me uh, or remind our viewers, of course, you haven't seen this latest mishap mechanic or even heard it on our APs. So previously we were doing... When you, when you roll more ones than sixes yes. on your pushed roll, you get a mishap. But yeah. we've changed that, haven't we?
1: Yeah. So now we have one of your dice in your pool is a mishap die. You don't get mm-hmm. a bonus dice. Basically, one of your, one of your pool um, from your So skillet. you always
0: roll a mishap die. Whatever size pool you're, you're exactly. using, one of them yes. is always a different color. Absolutely. And of course,
1: we can
2: make
0: an exclusive dice set with, with one of the <laughs> dice being a different color.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is vital of for the operation of the game. Yeah, exactly. Twenty quid a set, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Um but yeah, so you basically roll them all, you don't get any bonus dice, but one of your pull becomes the mishap dice. Um mm-hmm. the mishap die. If you roll a one on that after you've after your push, then um yeah, you get a mishap. If you roll a six on it before you push, then great. You you don't re roll it, you keep that six. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so it's very simple, very straightforward, and uh, the guys certainly seem to like it.
0: Cool, because you yeah. see, what I'd like—I'd like to do. Um, well, no, this is this is stuff that we can talk about outside the show. But I—I I think that is a simple enough mechanic that we can keep. The—the um, uh, the thing that you were referring to, being a bit of a failure, was in an earlier version of the mishap mechanic, where you tried to kind of create a table for every situation so that then when you rolled on the mishap everything was covered in the world of gaming um and that 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 proved harder than you imagined to begin with isn't it Didn't yeah it?
1: I mean it's always going to be a a quite text heavy way of doing it um mm. but I I I I I kind of backed myself when I started it thinking that you could probably do something that would give a uh give the gm both a role to randomize the outcome and enough information for them to be able to apply that outcome yeah. in any given situation but actually it didn't work um no it's interesting. it worked well for combat it worked really well for combat <laughs> but then it didn't work for the other areas that the actual approach was designed to work for because it works for combat anyway combat didn't need fixing um, yeah, but for the other areas, particularly kind of the social areas and the sort of the the mental psychological areas, um, some of the some of the impacts of, you know, getting a you're trying to persuade someone to do something, um, you get a mishap, you then roll on the table and you get a very extreme roll, get a high roll, but then suddenly the outcome of that mishap was way way disproportionate. To the, to, in the, which the, to the situation in which the mishap happened. So it just, yeah. doesn't, it just doesn't work. Um, no. So our, our current approach goes back to the placing the onus largely on the GM to come up with something um, imaginative yeah. and interesting in the moment. Which, I mean, that is the GM's job. But I think, again, the point I made, the GM's got a lot to think about already, and sometimes it's really hard to think of something really like yeah sometimes sometimes there's something
0: really obvious that appears but i do think there's a real strain and uh, what i was going to say is that you know in a way this is what um fantasy flights star wars um system was meant to do it was meant to make it easier for the gm to think of what sort of problem there was um and uh, and I think yeah we've given and I don't think that did. I think a lot of people complained about that. You yeah. know where the actual mechanic. You know so that those these are dice with strange symbols that mean different things. Which yes. obviously you have to spend roll the roll the game play the game a few times before you, you get those in your head anyway. Yeah. But even then there was you know I I spoken to GMS go well I don't know what to do when, yeah. when when it occurs they've got a success but they've also got all these mishaps for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, A more appropriate word for star star wars is what i meant yeah how do i how do i spend those mishap points and actually i think the the best thing in star wars to come out of that system is if you can't think of anything then they just take stress which was a minor damage mechanic and i wonder whether there's a thing there that we say you know if you can't think of anything appropriate then maybe they take a bit of you know a point of damage to their attribute like you might do in yes. other versions of year zero yeah so just have that to fall back on
1: yes that's that's not a bad idea actually yeah, yeah. I think that, that probably works um, yeah that probably covers it off quite well actually yeah, yeah brilliant cool. okay we cool. solved that problem
0: live on air
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh god we're so good aren't we
0: right what problems are we going to solve next time we're here oh. world hunger AIDS cancer <laughs>
1: Um, well it's your homework turn, so up to you to decide which one. Dang world it. peace. Um solve world peace. How about that? Uh okay, yeah. I I can get rid of world peace very easily by letting the Russians invade Ukraine. <laughs> no, you're not supposed to get rid of it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Don't think we have to do very much. Yeah, well this time no. this time next, you know, by the time we record the next one we might be at we might be at war with you with them, um, Russia anyway. All right, right. Yeah, but, Well, Nice. let us um, let <laughs> us end on that high note yeah on that high note <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway. we will
0: be back in two weeks time uh, nuclear devastation uh, Willing, notwithstanding yes. and uh, in two weeks time we will have thought what we're talking about and we'll yes. um, tell you in the show notes
1: cool good stuff then I think that's a, that's another long show from us so I hope you enjoyed yeah it, we were going to
0: keep this one short weren't we
1: but here yeah. we are at half past nine um Yeah, so it's goodbye for me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless all your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.